Sermon number 524, The Face in the Mirror, preached Sunday, January 11, 1970, in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown. The text is James 1, the 23rd verse. This morning's sermon is entitled, The Face in the Mirror. And the scripture passage from which it is taken is the very important letter of James, the first chapter, and we begin reading at the 19th verse. Remember this, my dear brothers, everyone must be quick to listen, but slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not help to achieve God's righteous purposes. Rid yourselves then of every filthy habit and all wicked conduct. Submit to God and accept the word that he plants in your hearts, which is able to save you. Do not fool yourselves by just listening to his word. Instead, put it into practice. For whoever listens to the word but does not put it into practice is like a man who looks in a mirror and sees himself as he is. He takes a look at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks closely into the perfect law that sets men free, who keeps on paying attention to it, and does not simply listen and then forget it, but puts it into practice. That man will be blessed by God in what he does. A few years ago, there appeared a play entitled The Traveler Without Baggage. Maybe some of you are acquainted with it. It portrayed the predicament of a returning serviceman suffering from amnesia. This man has to go through all sorts of wonderful and mostly horrible experience in trying to find out who he really is. You see, being in this condition, he is stripped of all record of the past, he is robbed of all emotional baggage, and he's an individual who finds nothing but frustration as he tries to penetrate the meaning of self and the meaning of the world in which he lives. And the play goes on and on and on and points out all of the things that this man had to go through in order to try and find out who he really was. And you know, this seems to me to be a predicament of many people in our modern society. Many of us spend a good bit of time, a good bit of money, and really don't know exactly who we are. Modern psychology, depth psychology especially, tells us that in each one of us, Deep in our hearts and way back in our minds lies part of our individuality which we do not know. And not only 
Are we at times confusing to other people in trying to identify ourselves, but also we are an enigma of ourselves to our own selves? Many of us like to quote that great passage, To thine own self be true. But many people respond, Yes, I would like to be this, but what self am I truly? I seem to be nothing more than a great composite group of different types of people, all imprisoned within one particular body. There is, first of all, the self that I think that I am. This self is usually nothing more than some type of a dilution of all of our hopes and our dreams and our feelings and the things that we would like to become. Then there is the self that those who are close see us to be. And this particular self does not depend so much upon our own being as it does on their perception of us. And if they like us and love us, they will always see us better than we actually are. And if they don't like us, they'll always make us out to be worse than we actually are. And then there is always the self that we are projecting to the outside world and to the public. And this individual usually appears as being rather false because of our over-concern and pride. We clothe our feelings and our real self in all types of devices, hoping that people will see what we want them to see rather than to see us as we really are. And then, of course, there is our real and true self, the self that only God sees and God knows, and the self that we desperately are trying to find in our struggle of life. We're so complex. I think the finest thing I have ever heard of one man saying about another friend is that this particular individual is the most uncomplicated person I know. Could that be said of you? Are you known to yourself, your colleagues, your family, your friends, and strangers? as being uncomplicated, simple to understand, completely pure on the surface, hiding nothing. Most of us are not known to be this type of an individual. Rather, we are individuals who wish we could be free and spend so much time in trying to find out who is me. Strange enough, it's the message of God, as I understand it, to tell us that he too is interested in us finding ourselves. As a matter of fact, much that God has done in the earth for us has been to try and help us to find out our true identity. God, you see, through his Bible, through the word preached and read, spoken, through worship, through the sacraments, through personal moments of meditation and contemplation, through all sorts of experiences, both good and bad, he tries to use these as a mirror to reflect and allow us to see ourselves as we really are. And each one of us, 
who is spiritually sensitive, I'm sure has had at least one experience when we have had that rare moment of insight, when in some particular situation, it may be in reading the Word of God, it may be sitting here in, in this congregation or listening to this voice or that of another preacher, or it may be in some horrible experience or wonderful experience that has come to you, it may be in a moment of meditation or contemplation, you have been able to get a good look at yourself in a way that you've never seen yourself before. Something has happened that has served as a mirror for you to get a pure reflection of yourself. And I would not surprise you, and as you already know, Sometimes you don't like what you see. I've known people who have literally been surprised and shocked to death to suddenly realize this is me. They have never seen themselves like this before. And then suddenly something happens. And God has supplied some mirror. And they're able to look in at, at it. And maybe only for a fleeting moment. They see themselves as God sees them all the time. Now usually, not always, sometimes this is a wonderful experience and we're surprised by what we see. And really we're not quite as bad off as, <laughs> as we thought we were. But most of the time, what we see, we don't like. We see ourselves as being disgustingly wrong. We see ourselves as being filled with pride pride that has hurt many, many people, and we see ourselves as individuals that we really don't want to know. Each one of us has had this. If you're spiritually sensitive, you know that you have had it. And though it's a horrible thing, it's a very important thing that it does happen to you. And what is equally important is not only that it has happened, but what you do after this particular reflection of your possible salvation comes to you. You see, you can do one of two things. James, in writing his very helpful letter, tells us that when such a reflection comes, and by God's grace, though it's a horrible experience, it is a blessing in disguise, we can sit and look at this and believe me, it's not always nice to see your soul stripped bare. We can learn from this. We can realize that some changes have to be made, and we can ask God through Christ to help us to become the individual that he has created us to become and to get rid of this ugliness, this dirtiness, this sinfulness that is within us. Or, as Jane tells us, we can turn away from the mirror. We don't have to stand there. We can walk away from it and try to the best of our abilities to forget what we've seen there. Which tactic do you use? I'll tell you the one that's the easiest, the latter. And I notice in counseling and in talking and in my own life, it's always easier than the one direction that most of us follow. We want to forget. 
what we have been privileged to see for maybe only an instant of a moment, and we turn away, and we try to forget as quickly as possible the real me that I have seen. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? I think I have some insight into this. I, I think we do this because we don't like mirrors. Mirrors in any way, shape, or form. And I say this in spite of the fact that I realize that everyone in this congregation has, has looked in at least one mirror after arising this morning and before he or she came to this church. I did. I'm sure you did too. But in spite of that, we don't like mirrors. Even though there is not a home represented that does not have at least one mirror in its home. And some of you, my gracious, you have many of them. In spite of the fact that there's probably not a woman's purse sitting on the pew or the floor beside you today that does not have at least one mirror in it. In spite of the fact that most of us are too vain to believe that we can live without the privilege of a mirror. The fact still remains we don't like mirrors. It's against human nature to like these things that reflect. Yet we can't live without them, can we? But we still don't like them. And I think the reason we don't like them is because they always tell the truth. Do you realize that it's an incapability for a mirror to tell a lie? I wonder, have you ever sat and watched somebody who is trying on a new suit of clothes in front of one of those contraptions that has three mirrors in a clothing department of any one of our many stores? So sometime if you want a good afternoon of entertainment, you, you go and you just sit and watch those people, especially those who have a build something like mine, go and stand before these mirrors. I'll tell you, it'll be a humorous experience. You'll get almost as much fun out of it as will that other person as he watches you stand before the mirror. It's, it's really something, and if you're the least bit observant, you'll notice that this individual will come out of the dressing room somewhat timidly and shy, looking around, and then more or less in a ritualistic fa fa fashion, head straight for that three-mirror contraption. And he or she strides and stands right in the middle and assumes the posture somewhat like a store win window mannequin. The shoulders go back, the stomach comes in, the chin comes up, and then usually there's always a tug at the jacket in the back. And then usually there is a piece of lint that has to be removed or a, a spot that has to be brushed. And then you look to the right, and then you see the individual look to the left, and then straight ahead. And there becomes a squint in the person's eye. And then, most always, a second look comes upon the face. You watch. You watch. And then usually there's an attempt at some half-sick humor to try and justify this, which is standing before the mirror, to this poor sales clerk. My heart bleeds for those sales clerks. I'm sure they've heard every excuse that has ever been written 
on why that mirror projects such an ugly image. You see, a mirror always shows it like it is. It does not lie. And most of us don't like that. We like people who lie to us just a little bit. And reflections that are willing always to bend things just a little bit toward our favor. Mirrors refuse to do this. And so does God. You see, God's rules and laws, his teaching, they always tell it exactly like it is. We reflect in the presence of God's pureness. And when we do this, we can see ourselves only as we are. And I really think, ladies and gentlemen, the reason that some people do not read their Bibles or come to church or participate in the sacraments or spend moments in meditation, it, it's just not because they think the church is old-fashioned, the Bible is too whole and too hard to understand and too many preachers preach wrong and irrelevant sermons. I don't think that's it at all. I think they're scared to death to be in any type of a situation where they're afraid they're going to see an image of themselves, an image that does not lie. You know how we react in the physical world when we have to see what is there. The same thing happens in the spiritual world. And some of us just don't want to subject ourselves to such truth. And we don't like mirrors because they always show it like it is. We don't like mirrors because, you see, we, we realize they are incapable of change. You realize that? A mirror is incapable of doing anything but reflecting that exactly which has been projected into it. You realize you can't argue with a mirror. You can't bribe it. You can't persuade it. You can't cry and plead with it that it will change. Even prayer doesn't help in trying to get a mirror to change. It's incapable of change. And unless a mirror, you see, loses its, or a looking glass, loses its silver backing, it will never be anything else but a mirror. You can take an enormous mirror and shatter it into countless number of pieces, yet you realize it's still a mirror, and every one of those little pieces is a mirror. And as long as the object is smaller than itself, it will project a reflection of that which is projected into it. Some of us don't like this. And that is why, you see, when God gives us the privilege of being able to see ourselves in a true reflection, we become frightened to death because we realize his laws and his teachings never change. And if there's going to be any change, we are the ones who are going to have to change. 
God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He always has, is, and will march to the beat of the same drummer. And just as a picture mirror says unto us, if there's going to be a change, brother, you've got to change because I cannot. So the reflection of God's purity and God's changelessness is continuously saying unto us, I love you and I understand you, but if you're really going to become you, you've got to change. I can't do it for you. And for this reason, you see, some of us get a little squirmy in church. And we get some of those C and E people, you know, the Christmas and Easter people, who stop around twice a year to see if God's still talking about the same things, when with the hope that the rules have been changed. God doesn't change his rules. And they don't like this type of a reflection. So they run away from it. Whenever they even get one glimmer of the light reflecting their true personality. Now, I, I think there's another reason why we don't like mirrors. It's because far too few of us have come to the realization that one of the best inanimate friends that we can have on this earth is a mirror. You realize that? Because a mirror reflects only what it sees, and it's pure, and it's incapable of change. Do you realize it's willing to tell you things about you that even your best friend won't tell you? It will give you the purest, or the purest reflection of yourself, and there's no personality in there to complicate the situation. No idiosyncrasies within another individual so that instead of giving a pure reflection, they give a reflection which first comes through their own impure eyes. No possibility of getting a mix-up between you and me. And you realize a mirror can never speak back. You can yell at it, but it'll never yell at you. It'll never argue. It will never force you to change, and it will never leave you, no matter the hour, the day, or the night, no matter the day of the week, no matter the week of the month, no matter what month of the year. You can go to a mirror at any time, and it will do its job. It will never disappoint you.